Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. Episode 38. Reduce the number of stakeholders. Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of If I Were the Minister for Education. Uh, This is Simon Lewis. Now, you may be surprised to hear that this episode has nothing to do with COVID-19. I I think I've been covering uh, special episodes on COVID-19 really for the last few months. Um, So you'll be probably glad to hear, uh, maybe you will, that this episode is uh, back to normal. And this is the 38th episode in the series of If I Were the Minister for Education. For those of you who haven't tuned into this uh, podcast uh, since, I suppose, before lockdown 2020, um, just to explain the whole concept of this podcast, um, as the title would suggest, I pick um, a different topic in education every week and I try and examine things that I would do if I were the Minister for Education to solve those issues. Um, And the topics range really from anything um, from uh, the separation of church and state to um, employment to grants to various other things. Uh, They they can be uh, sometimes very controversial, sometimes completely uncontroversial. Um, And this week uh, I'll be focusing on the issue around the number of stakeholders that we have in the education system. Uh, For those of you who might be um, uh, listening in, expecting me to give out about the leaving cert or the junior cert or the whatever things go on in secondary schools, um, I'm afraid this is not the podcast for you. Um, I focus entirely on primary education. So I guess without further ado, let's delve into this week's episode. If I were the Minister for Education, I would reduce the number of stakeholders in education. There's a number of words that get bandied about when the government are talking about education-related things that really, really annoy me. Um, One example is the word consultation, where the government have a plan, but before they implement the plan, whatever that plan might be, they have something called a consultation. And this consultation invites anyone at all to state their case about the plan, and many people do that. And then the government publish um, everyone's you know, piece, everything they say in an appendix somewhere, before they basically implement the plan they were going to do, no matter what the consultation results were. <laughs> and the one thing that really annoyed me the most, um, I suppose, uh, when it came to consultations, because they seem to be a thing that kind of happened in the last couple of years, really, um, mainly during let's say, uh, Richard Bruton's reign uh, of terror as the Minister for Education. But the one that really um, annoyed me the most at that time, and for those of you that listen to the podcast, you won't, you won't be surprised, really. It's, on, <laughs> it's related to religion in schools. Um, this consultation was basically around the, the, what was known as the baptism barrier. I'm not sure most of you will obviously have, have remembered the baptism barrier, the infamous baptism barrier, where a child could be refused an enrollment in his or her local primary school if the religion that they were born into was not the same as the religion uh, or the religious ethos of the school they wanted to go to. So for example, my child could have lived next door to a primary school, but because and through absolutely no fault of his own, he did not make any choice in this matter, um, and probably not through any particular fault of my own or even my parents' fault, except 
they chose not to change their religion from the one they were born into um and uh, basically you know even if you live right beside the primary school um and the law was that all catholic children who wanted to go to the school would get a place ahead of them basically i wouldn't be able to send my son to the school um it was similar if it was a church of ireland school or any other denominational school now um I suppose as a disclaimer and i don't think it's really a disclaimer at all and um, because it had nothing really to do with me um you know I, I was a benefactor of this messed up rule i i think it's a messed up rule i think it's a crazy rule uh, and most of you will have known that if you've listened to previous episodes but i was a benefactor of a so-called baptism barrier as a child um i was raised in a jewish family and there wasn't ever any question that I wasn't going to be accepted into the Jewish school um, near where I was raised. Even if hundreds of children living more likely wanted to go there, um, I would have got the preference um, just because of an accident of birth, basically. Anyway, the fact was uh, that a child from a minority faith or no faith at all could be refused from, uh, from any local school um, that they wanted to go to. Um, as I said, in my childhood, it wasn't an issue really at the time um, because there were enough school places for anyone that wanted them um but by about the i suppose this decade or last decade now we're in 2020 now so the 2010s there were families that actually couldn't get their kids into schools in their postcode never mind uh their uh, on their street or in their neighborhood um, and most famously uh th there was a case in dublin 6 slash 6w i actually was raised in dublin 6 and i remember when uh dublin 6 divided into dublin 6 and 6w um I, I i don't really know what the reason for it was um but i remember feeling um a little bit put out uh that uh, that 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 Dublin Six W didn't didn't feel um, the need to be lobbed in with us um, less classy Dublin Sixers. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. And um, the most famous case there, anyway, was um, a woman um, called Nikki Murphy, who had um, who had a child, um, and she was not she was not raising with religion. I know I had to pause there. I was so shocked. Um, anyway, she couldn't enroll him into any school in Dublin Six. Or its environs at all Dublin 12 Dublin I, I Dublin two, I'm not Dublin 4 or those kind of areas anyway around Dublin 6 and it was and the only reason that she couldn't enroll her child in any of these schools was because of the baptism barrier that Catholic children were enrolled first uh, before uh, children of their faiths um, or none were considered it was similar as well in the Jewish school if she applied there she wouldn't have got in because she wasn't Jewish and they were oversubscribed similarly for the Church of Ireland schools Dublin 6 has a lot of different denominational schools um, uh, but basically the story made the front page of the New York Times uh, embarrassingly enough I would say uh, for, for Ireland and effectively uh, the government were actually forced to do something guess what they did a consultation and Richard Bruton developed this bizarre thing, consultation, where a number of choices were put to consultation about how the baptism barrier should work. So should it be fully removed or should it remain or should it remain partially um, or in some sort of guise? Now, the vast majority of the consultation results were actually in favour of the first option. Get rid of it. However, Richard Bruton, before anything, before the consultation, seemed fixated and seemed to suggest even before the consultation on keeping the baptism barrier for protestant schools and a jewish schools and muslim schools any 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 minority religion schools. so basically anyone except catholic schools now despite almost every single person with um you know that without a grip on a church body let's say um 
saying that a full removal was the correct way to go. Um, and so when I say without a grip on the basically anyone who wasn't um, didn't didn't really have a, a um, I, I don't know a say in a church or whatever. But basically, the, anyone who, who um, the, the the idea really was that almost unanimously a full removal was the correct way to go for people who didn't have people didn't have an agenda of pushing a, a, a church agenda. Um, but anyway, the end result it didn't really matter was Richard Bruton basically um, went along with the thing that he wanted in the first place and a couple of years later the result of this is a further tangling of the education system and so to me do you know that you know there's things that are called trigger words for people consultation is my trigger word if you want to annoy me say the word consultation to me it's entirely meaningless and who loves consultations nearly more than the minister of the day himself do you know who loves them stakeholders do you know what that's my other trigger word stakeholders and when it comes to the education system there are a number of stakeholders and a number of groups that feel they should have their say in what happens in almost every aspect of education and this means that the department of education often have consultations with all the education stakeholders now have you ever wondered whatever happens at these consultations um, when the department of education meets with all its education partners well I always did. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that makes me a very sad person, um, but I, 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 I was always curious of what do these meetings look like. And um, one day I got that chance. Um, I was actually invited to represent one of the education stakeholders regarding a new Department of Education initiative. Ooh, lucky me. Now I went in expecting to be one of maybe eight people, maybe fewer, but I mean, how can you have a consultation with that many people? However, as soon as I walked into the clock tower room of the inner sanctum of the Department of Education, I instantly, instantly saw why the education system is so messy, tangled, and basically the same as, and I've used this analogy before, basically Christmas decorations in the attic. When I went into that room in the Department of Education, I found myself as one of over 32 stakeholders every patron body was represented uh, from the religious ones to two Gwaelga ones to educate together to the ETB there were two parent uh, bodies there was representation from the INTO and the IPPN as well as a lot of second level organizations which I can't remember the names of and then there were these other groups I, ca I can't even think to put a name of uh, a name to um, and every single body had their own personal agenda and they were looking for their slice of the pie which was on offer and whether that was a financial one or some other gain however tangible or intangible that slice was and the whole day was a complete mess and a total waste of everyone's time because there were far too many people there and it was impossible to make any decisions with such a large group of people in a room who were all basically just out there for themselves and and to be honest i think that just suits the government really and the particular meeting um proposed some ideas around a scheme they were they were trying to implement and it was a terrible idea i mean i i i, I won't tell you what happened because you know i don't want to give too much away and probably i'm probably bound to some confidentiality thing I, although i never signed anything anyway it's now part and parcel of what we do in schools now just that's all i'll tell you and not one thing that the stakeholders said at that consultation made a blind bit of difference to the original plan that was proposed everyone got a chance to speak and everyone was told that they'd been listened to but there were so many stakeholders there it was just stupid 
And at, at best, it was an exercise in ego, I think, where each stakeholder tried to be louder and more important than their perceived counterparts. And really, when I examined the room, considering you know, what the issue was at hand, there was actually no need for most of them to be there. And in fact, when, when it kind of comes down to almost all aspects of the education system and the various stakeholders, and this is where I'm getting to my point, you'd be glad to know, but if I were the Minister for Education, I would instantly be reducing the number of stakeholders involved in education. When I look back at that meeting, I was thinking about some of the stakeholders and, and why they were actually there in the first place. And then when I thought further about our education system and why, and why there actually had to be so many and what, what, would, what could you actually do to reduce them and for what reason? Um, like for example, every patron body in that room had to have their voice heard for some reason. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Patron bodies have one thing in difference. That's, they only have one thing that they have in difference. And that difference is religion. And effectively, what, I have no idea what religion had to do with what we were discussing that day. I mean, to be honest with you, I do have an idea. There was, it had nothing, genuinely. There, the, the thing we were talking about, I, I, I do not know one single verse in a Bible that had anything to do with what we were talking about or could be perceived to be against any particular faith. Honestly, it was that boring. And I try, now look, I try and blame religion for most things in, in the education system and most ills in the education system. But as I said, the thing we were discussing, I, even I couldn't find a way to link religion in them. Now, I, 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 I could try at some point, but I'm not uh, in this case. So basically, I don't think, um, I suppose I don't think there's a podcast that goes by without me saying all patron bodies should be taken out of the equation. Um, because we shouldn't have a patron system. So, I mean, you know, ultimately, I, I don't want to get too much into that, uh, but the first stakeholders I cut are all patron bodies um, for that very reason. There's, there, there's no need for them. And if you want to know more about why I think that, uh, you should listen back to, I think, one of my earlier episodes, which is called Scrap All Patron Bodies. Um, I mean, the clue is in the name. Um, anyway, however, I don't, I don't see any reason for unions to be there either because I don't think the time they need to be there um, is at the consultation uh, the initial consultation I think they need to be there when the decisions are made at the consultation and then they decide whether or not to block them I mean if, if a union is doing their job it's very very nice for a union um, to be involved in the early stages but it, it creates a problem for unions big when their bodies are part of the decision and then trying to um, you know I suppose go against the decision because someone will say but sure you had a you had a representative at the meeting why didn't you say that then um and i mean i think again i've talked about this in a previous episode um about the union not understanding what 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 part of the i think it was about i had a football team analogy when i talked about the into not actually really realizing what their position is on the team um and in fact the union seemed to be involved as i said far too much for my liking in almost every entity involved in education and i've I've mentioned this before uh, and i've no idea why we need unions involved at the consultation level when an idea is being discussed um and looking at the situation where i was um, they they basically sent um, an INTO member to put the views of the union to the Department of Education. Now, now, as much as this INTO member was someone with a very good bit of knowledge in the area that we were discussing, she wasn't someone anywhere near the upper echelons, let's say, of the union. She wasn't CEC rep or above. So effectively, her input, while it was fine, couldn't be rightly called the view of the union. It was her, it was her view as a member of the union. 
And, and the view of the union for me comes from a much higher place than a member. I, I, particularly at that level, consultation level. And I'm not sure if it makes sense, but to try and put it into a different context, let's say there was some committee that Fianna Gael wanted some representation on to represent the views of Fianna Gael. Now, Leo Radcar wasn't, wouldn't be going down to Ogre Fianna Gael or whatever. Um, I think that's what they're called. And then pick some random punter who's unelected, but enthusiastic to go and do it, no matter who he or she was. And that's nothing, as I said, against the person. It just makes no sense in as much as it made no sense for me to be there, to be honest. There was no reason for me to be there. I certainly haven't, uh, have never spoken for the body that sent me along to the consultation. And I'm nothing in terms of the organisation. Despite that I was well versed in the area I was sent to and I was able to speak on my own behalf. But God knows whether it was, would have actually matched what my organisation would have felt. And to be honest, from speaking to the various people in the room, it was a bizarre set of circumstances. Most of the people speaking on behalf of the respective organisations were just simply enthusiastic people working in the lower rungs of these organisations. Um, I mean, and that's generous. And only a handful of the people that were there, um, you know, people, you know, had any clout. Uh, let's say I mean and, and the Department of Education must know this and ultimately it didn't really matter what any of us said and to be perfectly honest there was very little need to have 32 or so bodies in that room the weird thing is anytime there's anything going on though the thing is they have to be there or they start complaining and looking at the stakeholders that were in the room I'd suggest there was zero need for union representation zero need for patron bodies zero need for management bodies zero need for principal associations zero need for the two parent bodies zero need for the second level equivalents of the patrons management association in fact the only person that needed to be in that room was the person who headed up the society for teachers that belonged to the subject that was in question <laughs> and in fact it would have been so much better to have two or three of their committee sitting in the room with the Department of Education official to thrash out what ended up being a terrible, terrible plan. However, the Gwail School people banged on for 20 minutes about how they wanted everything translated into Irish and how they wanted extra money to create Gwailga content. The parents' councils basically spent 20 minutes giving out about teachers not being good enough. I actually don't think the representatives from the religious patron bodies even knew why they were there. One body sent someone who worked in the business world, and I don't even think she was ever in a school in her life uh, based on what she was saying. And anyway, as I said, there was very little reason for the vast majority of these stakeholders to be at this meeting. And I'm sure it's the same at every single one of these consultations. I couldn't have gone to the only one where it was pointless for them all to be there. And basically, I've subsequently avoided going to them since. Um, I, 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 I haven't, I'm not asked very often. Maybe that's why. Um, however, it got me thinking, even outside of these stakeholder consultations in the Department of Education, in Ireland, we have a ridiculous amount of interest groups involved in primary education, and we need to cut them down. There is so much alphabet soup from A-S-T-I to Z. I actually, I don't think we have a Z acronym. Anyway, it is hard to know where to begin. And I have a feeling I'm going to leave out about half of them. However, I will try. And my, my aim now is to cull as many stakeholders as I can think of. And I'd love you, if you can think of it, uh, if you've listened to this, feel free to add some others uh, to um, uh, our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash onshot.net. Um, and it's a Facebook page that will accompany this podcast. And basically, this is my attempt, finally, uh, to unravel some of the Christmas decorations. I'm always giving out about the Christmas decorations. This time I'm going to unravel them.
Okay, so I, 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 am, I did say that I wasn't going to talk about patron bodies, but I, I'd, feel, I'd feel wrong if I didn't actually go into a little bit of detail here. Um, you've, I won't be saying anything new that people have already heard, uh, but for those of you who are new to the podcast, I suppose here's a brief summary of why I think we should scrap patron bodies. This, it basically ties in with my general feeling about the education system. We only need one primary education system and patron bodies just create divisions between ethnic groups and interest groups. And we need to decide on one common system that is state funded. And I know I go on and on about this in almost every episode, but if there is one thing we did to the education system, it would likely be the biggest simplification of our system and I would argue for the better. I have conversations about this very, very topic on a, basically on a daily basis and never once has anyone come up with a good argument as to why we actually need patron bodies any patron body and there seems to be an overriding acceptance that we must have choice within our system i love this we need choice um it's a, we're not a we're not a supermarket like we're we're, we're a public service and we don't have a choice of guardie or a choice of firemen or a choice of what who, who deals with our taxes there seems to be an overriding acceptance of choice i don't get it and there's lots of problems with this argument and the biggest one could be summed up in two words what choice we've been through this dozens of times but i'm going to repeat it as often as possible i am taking my own context because it's the one i know best i estimate that about 99 percent of people i meet when i tell them my son is going to an educate together school despite the fact i'd rather he wasn't in the same school as me more for his sake than my sake is ah isn't it great to have the choice and i'm a very polite person so I generally reply with absolute silence or mm. However, what I really want to say is, the thing is, I have and we have absolutely no choice whatsoever. I don't have the choice. I can't send him to a denominational school because he'll sit for half an hour every day at the back of the classroom colouring and absorbing religious dogma that neither of myself or my wife agree with. Also, he'll have to sit through prayers a few times a day and then his visits to the church, not being part of various celebrations of the school because they're entangled with the faith of the school. There's assemblies, there's Christmas plays, there's celebrations that inevitably centre around a mass. And while everybody in the school will do their very, very best to make sure he doesn't feel left out, at the end of the day, he will be. Every single day. And even though I'm 99% sure he'll still come out of it a well-adjusted adult, I see absolutely no reason to go to huge efforts to force his teachers to make him feel not left out or to give him something to do while they're going through the motions or make them feel bad because they inevitably forget to tell me about an upcoming thing or they have to tell them to stop or trying to kind of tell them to stop blessing himself because that's what the rest of the class are doing or stop joining in prayers or to feel guilty because they don't want to stop him blessing himself or saying the prayers or having fights with them and I just saw this nonsense and I just can't be bothered providing him with some sort of compensation package because he's one of the only kids in his class not getting a bouncy castle and iPad and a ton of cash for a day that's as meaningless to us as it is for most of his classmates and I also don't tell him that it took me you know I don't tell these people it took me three years of constantly campaigning to get an educate together school in our town meeting week after week after week sitting around shopping centres getting signatures and abuse by the parish office workers honestly that actually happened more than once and when we finally did get the school open i don't tell them about the hate campaigns against us new educate together school a kick in the teeth for carlo town was a headline of the local paper in mid 2008 i don't tell them i found myself defending the school opening at union meetings i don't tell them about many other things i can't really say in this podcast 
I also don't tell them about the fact that because of the patron system, patronage system, I cannot, me, I cannot work in 97% of primary schools in this country unless I lie and say that I'm happy to uphold the ethos of that particular school. So you see, choice is not something I have. And to be absolutely frank, the vast majority of people don't have a choice. Most people just go to their nearest school, warts and all. The only people that don't do that are the ones that seem to make up what might be called Middle Ireland. The ones that seem to like ensuring their kids go to the mythical good school. And when one actually looks at the education system, if we actually took religion and therefore patronage out of the education system, everyone would go to their local school and there would be no need for stakeholders. So goodbye patron bodies is what I would say. See, there you go. I told you I'm pretty tame when it comes to this sort of stuff. Anyway, I'll move on to my second entity. And, and given what they're trying to do to the education system, I don't expect many people to disagree with this one. They might disagree with the last one, and I don't care. Uh, but I, I don't think you'll disagree with this one. And, uh, and actually, you know, given COVID-19 and my last few podcasts, yeah, I, I don't think you'd be surprised to hear. And funnily enough, I wrote this episode way before COVID-19, so it's kind of interesting looking, um, looking at it now. Um, but basically, the NCSE. And in a nutshell, I just scrap it completely. I've dedicated an entire episode of this podcast. Um, sorry, man. I've dedicated an entire episode of this podcast as the reasons why. And since recording that podcast episode, um, what they've ultimately become, they just need to be disbanded quickly. Um, there's, there's actually no reasons for them to exist anymore. They're now just simply a layer of bureaucracy to prevent children with additional needs from getting the resources they need. Uh, and just to summarize why they're completely access to our needs, I just want you to take this following scenario. Child comes to my school with obvious additional needs. The school goes through the continuous support, but it's very clear there's a problem. The school calls NEPS, and NEPS agrees to assess the child. NEPS makes a recommendation that the child currently requires a full-time SNA. And this is where things get messed up. What should happen is that the school gets a full-time SNA, and this is reviewed by NEPS every year or two. However, for some baffling reason, the school then has to apply to the NCSE for an extra SNA which then triggers a complete review of all SNA allocations in the school, which isn't simply a small exercise. This, this actually requires the school to provide boxes of paperwork. And I'm not exaggerating boxes. I know I've gone on about this before. The CNO then has to write through these boxes of paperwork with the sole intention of finding any reason not to give the allocation. And because it's boxes of paperwork, and most of it completely unnecessary, this takes weeks to process, possibly months now, because the CNO is covering multitudes of schools, and because of this, the CNO is constantly trying to catch up on paperwork, so when that becomes too much to bear, the aim is to try and avoid doing these full reviews, because this means even more work. Anyway, if they finally can find something that doesn't tick some box somewhere, the CNO then visits the school, spends a ludicrously small amount of time watching the children with SNA access, and makes legally binding judgments well, they used to make legally binding judgments based on 10 minutes of observation. Now they don't even make the decisions. They, they basically make decisions which they pass on uh, to some arbitrary decision maker. Um, and, that, and in some ways, their, their decision is arbitrary. They have to pass it on. Nobody's happy with it. Um, and someone decides then, you know, after who is the CNO's boss, what allocation is given. And it's usually less than what the CNO even suggests. And with only 8% of appeals garnering any success, and by the way, the appeals also means an even bigger load of boxes of paper, you can see why the whole NCSE is almost comical, if it wasn't so serious. 
I can think of not one genuine reason for the NCSE except policy development, and even that could be given to a different agency. And I think the NCSE was a needed agency in its time, but it basically got out of control, and now it's starting to look like the educational equivalent of the HSE, which as we know now, it was, it was a very bad idea. So I would kind of be saying goodbye, someone might even say good riddance to the NCSE. Let's move on. The beautifully named PDSTTIE. So let me break that down. It's the Professional Development Service for Teachers Technology in Education, which of course makes no sense grammatically, but basically it's the ICT branch of the PDST. It used to be its entirely own entity called the NCTE, but that was sort of absorbed into the PDST, um, kinda. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, it, it still is separate, even though it's the same. I. Do you know, I'm, I'm, I actually don't think I can explain it. It kind of reminds me of a couple that fall in love and get married, but one really wants to keep their name in some form, so they, they make some sort of compromise. Like when Dawn Porter married Chris O'Dowd, so she changed her name to Dawn O. Porter or something. Anyway, the PDST, <laughs> TIE, just, just needs to get over itself and join up with the PDST and lose their tie to get it, TIE. Anyway, no one would um, actually have to lose their job or anything, but it would save a lot of money on letterheads, um, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. And for the record, my analogy of Donna Porter was not a judgment on her. I, I need to uh, say this in the, in, the, in the world that we're living in. She is very much welcome to call herself whatever she wants. However, the PDSTTIE, no, no, you, you, you need to get over yourselves. Anyway, while we are marrying um, off the PDST to its friends, I'm going to make them have an illicit affair, yes. I am going to marry them off to the NCCA, so we may find ourselves with the NCCA PDSTTIE. No, we're, we're going Mormon here. I'm actually going to say they're going to have multiple partners, and the NCCA needs to be one of them. And I see no reason why we have to have both the NCCA, who designed the curriculum, being a separate entity to the PDST, who deliver the training of this curriculum. It just makes no sense. It's like having two factories designing and making exactly the same product, but calling themselves completely different names. Um, so ultimately, because the NCCA NCCA effectively have been doing quite possibly the worst job imaginable in the last decade, um, you know, just refer to the primary language curriculum, um, maybe refer to the ERBE curriculum, remember that? Um, maybe look at the alleged bullying within the organization. Anyway, I'm giving the PDST bragging rights to the name. So basically, I'm saying the NCCA should be scrapped because it's it's kind of a bit it's kind of falling apart anyway so look maybe it should just you know anyway to be honest it's probably better that they get a whole new other name and it shouldn't be as i said the pdst tie ncca in any case the ncca and the pdst just need to be amalgamated in some sort of way so what i'm doing is there i'm reducing a stakeholder there see now i've mentioned all the patron bodies earlier on but i'm not sure if i actually mentioned all the religious management bodies because yeah that's a thing too so i'm talking about the cpsma I'm talking about the Church of Ireland Synod. I'm talking about the Dublin Talmud Torah. And if there's any others that I don't just don't know about, basically, I, there probably are. I don't know if the um, if the Muslim patron body and their and their management body are are, are different. Um, so <laughs> I just find it funny that um, the Dublin Talmud Torah is the Jewish uh, management body, but it actually isn't the patron body um, for one school. But um, look, I went to that school, but uh, so I I think I'm allowed to slag them off without without you know. I, 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 anyway, uh, let's move on before I get into trouble. Um, in an education system where religious patron bodies are gone, the respective management bodies need to go too, I'm afraid. So in fact, 
even if we can't get rid of religious patron bodies maybe we could just get rid of the management bodies i just don't see the reason for them to be separate i can see why the cpsma came along because there's three and you know there's so many schools but i don't really think they really need to exist i think uh, the patron bodies um should be able to do all that by themselves um or certainly they should be separate going back to special education needs for a moment um i actually nearly forgot about nabsme um <laughs> I don't know what they do. That's why. Um, genuinely, I, when I originally wrote my blog post on this um, a few years ago, I said I was kind of on the fence with it um, because I knew special education was constantly being targeted. Um, and I continued with, however, I haven't seen a huge amount of evidence of their impact to oppose it, most likely through no fault of their own. But a few years on, I've actually changed my mind on this. In the last year, special education has been targeted by government agencies and the media to ridiculous levels the newspapers and the minister for education were disgustingly disparaging towards schools and teachers in the summer of 2019 uh, i don't know if any people remember this pre-covid um but I'll, I'll just remind you firstly they tore apart schools who were putting children with violent behaviors on shortened days um, I think some of you might remember that. And secondly, they spent days lambasting schools that had to expel a child for injuring five members of uh, staff with a, hurling, uh, with a hurling stick. And um, I, I, again, I don't know if some of you remember that story. It feels like such a long time ago. This is about less than a year ago. And thirdly, they made out that schools were basically refusing to open special classes for autism because they didn't care about kids with additional needs. And not only that, since then, the entire sector of special education needs has been taken... Uh, over by the NCSE and has been slapped about to the point of almost death which they're calling full inclusion so the full inclusion model and there hasn't been the slightest it, all with that and even all the way through COVID-19 I'm sorry I knew I, I, I said I wouldn't mention COVID-19 but I have to now even through COVID-19 where there were so many cuts by stealth by the NCSE I didn't hear a word from the, from NAVSME. Um, not one press release not one comment nothing and in all fairness it isn't just this year over the last decade NASME have sat idly by while cut after cut has been imposed on schools who are trying their very best to help children with additional needs now maybe I still don't understand what the role is I checked their website and lo and behold it claims to be a representative body however I just don't know what they're doing I mean, I guess we can ask the same questions of other groups that are funded by their members. And in fairness, I'm not putting NAVSME near the top of my list for culling because their impact is so negligible. But, you know, maybe, you know, they only deal when there's a specific crisis in a specific school. I, I don't know. And maybe, look, maybe that's enough. Maybe they are a representative body in name only and really their work is quiet and in the background. You know maybe i'm backtracking a little bit but maybe that's because i've had experience where the people in there have been very kind to me in the past on a personal level uh, and i do have to acknowledge that um but i mean in fairness i i suppose i can't be absolutely 100 percent generous just because people have been nice to me um in the past you know the organization does have to work for its members um and the person who was very nice to me it had nothing to do with nabs me um however none of what i'm saying is personal obviously and unfortunately when a stakeholder in education is actually doing anything in the bigger picture they may just have to bow out and ultimately the only way nabs me could save themselves from my guillotine is if they start actually giving their opinions about where sen is going and not to be afraid to criticize the ncse or the department of education or anyone else for that matter let's move on the next uh, p 
people on my radar um, might not surprise you, uh, certainly wouldn't have surprised you uh, a number of years ago when they would have been top of everybody's list. And that is our friends in the Teaching Council. Now, I think it's fair to say that no one really knows what they do. And for a time, they actually did almost nothing um, except collect a fee, which allowed teachers to remain a teacher. However, since then, they're, I suppose it would only be fair to say, they're slowly but surely destroying the education system through, well, so far, Drihid. Um, of all the schemes and initiatives that have, uh, that have put our education system at the highest risk of all, it's probably a tie between Drihid and the 2011 Literacy and Numeracy Strategy. Now, thankfully, nobody seems to remember the details of the, la of the latter one, the literacy and numeracy strategy, thankfully, except for a watered-down version, which is now SAS, or sorry, SSE. However, DRIHID is now firmly in place in all schools in the country, and the results of it are going to be felt in the not-so-distant future. However, for me, the biggest, the biggest scandal of all in this was not the Teaching Council steamrolling DRIHID in, it was the other stakeholders in education, mainly the INTO, who did nothing to stop it from happening. And in fact, we all know now that the INTO were complicit in getting Drihid over the line, as John Carr said afterwards in an interview. However, <laughs> saying all of that, oddly enough, I'm actually not going to scrap the Teaching Council. <gasps> that was a sharp intake of breath there. I, I have great sound effects. However, I would tear it apart and start it again because <laughs> I actually do think it's important that we have a self-regulating body independent from the government. And unfortunately, it's nowhere near where it needs to be. And it's actually lost any direction it ever had a long, long time ago. I've already argued it's got way too much union involvement a few episodes ago. And that just needs to go. Um, it needs a total restructure in terms of uh, other members of the council. Uh, for example, while we all laughed at the fact that Richard Bruton a while ago, do you know, he, I, I don't know if you remember this, but he co-opted one of the head honchos of Coca-Cola onto the teaching council. I mean, ha ha ha, that's funny. But that's highly worrying, isn't it? Why would the teaching profession want the head of a very unhealthy fizzy drinks company that is best used for cleaning toilets, I think, uh, being part of the education system or self-regulating it. So we need to get rid of the Teaching Council and we need to bring it back, um, maybe properly, though, this time. I'm, I'm also going to get rid of all second-level entities. Um, I'm not saying that they should be disbanded, um, but they shouldn't have any say in anything relating to primary education. So I'm not actually saying we'd scrap second-level entities. What I'm saying is when it comes to things that affect primary level, second-level entities can go away. We don't need them. Um, primary and secondary level are two totally different beasts that have very little to do with each other. Um, you know, it's currently like if doctors' and nurses' bodies came together to make decisions about health. Now, maybe they do, <laughs> but I don't think they do. And it should only really happen when it's absolutely necessary, but it shouldn't be the norm. You know, right now, there's too many decisions being made about education, painting primary and second level with the same brush. And in most cases, it just doesn't work. Uh, I mean, if you look at, um, I, I suppose I'm looking, let's say, looking at the teaching council. Um, that is for primary and second level, they're all in the same go. But also any other agency that deals with both primary and second level, there's no way the teaching council should be... Um, should be representing both primary and second level. It just, it just made, we, even our unions have sense not to be in the same union. Um, and I, I mean, if you look at, for example, just going briefly back to Drihid, if you look at second level, they love Drihid. 
generally, like they're overwhelmingly in favour of Druid. But if you look at primary, we were overwhelmingly not in favour of Druid. Now, why is that? Only, you know, why would that be? Well, we're two totally different types of entities and how we manage things, how we run our systems. Um, but we're, we're put together in some places. Now, there's quite a few agencies because um, I, I need to wrap up here I'd say um, I, I haven't done a long podcast in a while but uh, this will be a little bit uh, of a longer one uh, there's a few agents that have survived my call um, uh, you'll be glad to know um, <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of agencies listening to this going oh please Simon don't call us please um, I'm sure they aren't uh, <laughs> I've left the National Parents Council alone because I actually do believe they need to exist however while they do um, need uh, to hold the teaching profession accountable I think um, I think they do need to do that. They do need to. I, I suppose if they if they were a um, what do you call it a, a bow maybe not a bow and arrow well some kind of a weapon anyway. They they need to aim it in the right direction. They need to remember that our profession is a cog in a wheel that only works when the powers that be provide enough adequate sorry adequate funding and resources, which they don't. And it really annoys me when the parents council start mouthing off at schools because it's not helpful. We need the National Parents Council with us. They're, you know, they're not our enemies. They need to be fighting with us against the representative bodies, or the, not the representative bodies, and the, the, the government, basically, who impose these restrictions, not, not, be, not be joining them in in the, in the, in the chanting. Um, I've also kept the IPPN, um, and while I don't think they are doing themselves any favors at the moment, um, in terms of revision, I've, I've touched on this in the last uh, well, while I was talking about COVID nineteen, uh, but I haven't talked about it really, I suppose, since I've uh, stepped down from the board. Um, but it is basically why I stepped down from their board um, so quickly. I, I I was on their board for about six. Someone, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I think I'm saying six months. They might say eight months. Uh, but anyway, that's not important at all. Um, I still think they do have the potential to get back on track and be a real voice for principals because they aren't right now however they are under threat from becoming uh, I, I mean i already think they're fairly rudderless anyway um and i don't mean that as a as an insult i know rudderless is a very it's kind of a, a, a not a, a derogatory word i don't mean it to be derogatory i think they they have more power than they think they have if that makes sense and 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 you know, I think what their what uh, what their biggest threat, and when they actually be do what when they could become completely rudderless, a principal union could rise up. And then, what will their purpose be? They'll have none. And as as nice as it is to be nice, the IPPN need to start calling out, um, not only the D Department of Education but also the INTO. I mean, I'm, I I I know they don't claim to be a representative body, but they're only a union away from being absolutely unnecessary um, and as most people would know who would follow the IPPN closely they were, origi they were originally set up as a response to the lack of principal support from the INTO um, but one could probably argue now and I, I don't mean to be unfair they've become kind of the largest branch of the INTO now does that sound cru cruel I think I've said it before but I mean I, I, maybe it is a bit cruel but I, I, I don't I, do you know I don't think it's cruel Anyway, I'm giving them a dispensation because there isn't anyone officially looking out for principals right now, except maybe for the National Principals Forum. And I might suggest they look over their shoulder there um, because it's, an, it's a forum that's going places um, if, uh, yeah, if, 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 if they're not careful. Um, 
you know, these, this, these, these things can happen. You know, who would have thought Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael would have to join forces to form a government this time round? No one would have thought that, um, even 10 years ago. Anyway, I've also saved uh, the INTO from the cull. I'm sure they were, I'm sure they were really uh, shaking in their boots there. Because no matter how bad they are, which they are right now, our profession needs a union, even if it's only for self-preservation for our jobs. However, I will say the INTO are only one rival union away from being at risk. And I know I said we shouldn't be mixing our secondary schools and our primary schools, but I would reckon if the TUI or the ASTI decided to welcome primary teachers into their fold, I could right now see a mass exodus from a very, very, very hurt uh, faction of INTO members. And that's not a small number. Um, these are people who um, teachers who came into the system after 2011 who were shafted and that's I'm saying that word um, I never use the word shafted but I'm going to say it now because I think it's an ugly word um, by the union over the last decade uh, uh, and who are paid unequally and um, have been really thrown under the bus by the ONTO on several occasions um, they have uh, really hurt principals through um, not standing up for them around benchmarking uh, for one and they refused to talk about benchmarking until the National Principles Forum made it uh, a big issue. And I don't think it would be a crazy thing to say they could lose up to 50% of their membership if they're not careful. Um, and I, I, mean, I, I don't say that as a... I, say, I don't say that because, I mean, why would I say that as a threat? Because who are they, what threat am I to anybody? But it is um, it's something they need to watch. So really, I suppose with that <laughs> bombshell, if you can call it that, that's kind of my spring clean done. I don't really have anything else to clear out. Um, I'm aware some of what I've said is fairly harsh. Um, as I've been saying it, I've kind of felt I've been a bit harsh. And I guess that's because it was harsh. Nobody wants to hear that they're surplus to need. But there are far too many stakeholders involved in our education system. And this only has the outcome of overcomplicating our system and thus bad things happening to it. And this is further exacerbated when members of stakeholders sit on boards of other stakeholders which is happening because that means everyone's afraid of offending each other and then nobody actually says anything that might offend their friends because they sit on a board with them you know for example there i'm, I'm not going to name people on boards but I, I specifically but i mean if you look at any board um national board like the inco or, or the ippn or the ncse or anything like that, you'll find actually that there's overlapping and that's dangerous in, in, in a lot of ways because of this um oh i don't want to upset um whoever on the, because he's on he sits on the board of that that place and uh, i i you know that you know those kind of relationships um and that's that's very difficult um i mean for example the main reason i had to shut down this podcast while i was on the board of the ippn was was not because um they minded me saying stating my opinion or being critical but it's more that I would be critical of other stakeholders um, and that could degrade the IPPN's relationship um, with them. So if I was on the IPPN, I, I mean, I could look, I'm not naive. I can see exactly how it would do that if I was on the board of, of an organization and then I started giving out about other organizations. I, I could see why they would be annoyed uh, that the board were allowing me to do that. So I mean, I'm not being naive by, by criticizing them, but I, I mean, that, that was the reason. Um, and basically, what I would be um, what I would be saying is, 
you know, we need to have a look at all the stakeholders. Not only that, we have to look at the number of um, ways they're tangled up together, just kind of like Christmas decorations, because they do sit on each other's boards. They, they meet up a lot. Um, these uh, consultations happen regularly. So the same people are meeting all the time and relationships build up and there's a little bit, it's a little bit too friendly uh, a lot of times. I, I, I'm reminded uh, as I'm saying this of a, a photograph uh, I remember seeing, I think it was in a, uh, or it wasn't a photograph, it was a video of um, union members meeting with the Department of Education. And there were, you know, the, the, the video to me kind of uh, summed up things, you know, there was lots of um, hugs, and this is pre-COVID times, hugs, slaps in the back, uh, laughing and joking and everything else when they were going in to talk about something extremely serious i think it was pay inequality at the time and that to me gave the wrong message um so ultimately i mean i think we need to detangle um i have considered you know changing the name of this podcast um to to represent like it seems to me that every single one of my um episodes seems to come down to the analogy that we have this the education system like christmas decorations in the attic and perhaps i should rename the podcast christmas decorations in the attic you know might might get more listeners so um i hope you have enjoyed this episode um it's great to actually do a normal episode um of if i were the minister for education it's been a while um but uh, and uh, the only change i guess to previous episodes of if i were the minister for education is i've decided i'm going to move them from wednesday to fridays at 5 59 in celebration of the department's favorite time to publish circulars um, I, when i was talking earlier on about changing the name of the uh, podcast i was thinking of changing it to the um the uh, the friday Friday night circular, uh, which I think I might do um, if I if I ever do any more podcasts because I think that's a good name for a for a podcast. But anyway, I'll have to stick with if I were the minister for education because that's where I started from. Anyway, enough about that. If you would like to find this podcast um, and other its other episodes um, anywhere, you can find them on all the major platforms: iTunes, Spotify, and any other podcasting app by searching for On Shaw's podcast, which is a nice simple uh, way to search for it. I would really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast podcast so you'll get each new episode at a much more reasonable time than 5.59 on Friday. Uh, please also feel free to review the podcast like many others have done uh, so people can find them more easily. Look thanks a million uh, for listening to this episode um, I look forward to seeing you or to talking to you again next week uh, when we tackle another uh, area. Um, any suggestions you might have for us to uh, cover um, I, I'd really appreciate those and uh, that's it, really. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.